Ephesians chapter 2. We've been working our way through Ephesians, and um, um, you know, it, it is a tremendous book, and, and, and interesting in so many ways, and so many things that, that you know, I am, feel so inadequate to be able to bring out all the kinds of things that, I, I mean, I've I just felt like I were going to go shoot myself last week after I studied for hours on this thing, and then I didn't feel like I accomplished anything in trying to preach what I thought was there. And and it was just, well, one of them, is one of them times. You know, you have, I don't know if you ever have times like that. I just felt like this just went nowhere. So we're going to give it a shot again today. No, I'm not going back to there. I'm not going to revisit that. I'm going to go right on to chapter 2. It's done. It's behind me. So chapter 2. And uh, I think as we progress, there, you know, it, it is so, so much that I find here. And it's hard to grasp without just going over here, going over there, and jumping over here, and trying to pull all these things together, and it's rich. It is very rich indeed. On chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and you, and I'm going to say, you know, hath he quickened, you know, in the King James, it says, hath he quickened, but it's not there in the Greek text. They they got that down here in verse 5 when the translators, and they pulled it up here and put it in verse verse 1. But I think it's better if we don't read it. And I'll tell you why later. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenlies or in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, there's no way, I don't believe, that we'll ever cover ten verses in in one message. Um, But I do want to read the entire thing so we catch the thought of what Paul is dealing with here. And of course, beginning in verse 1, when he says, And you... Uh, you know, you go back to chapter 1 and say, well, well, what's the connection here with what Paul is telling us here with what happened back in, in, uh, in the first chapter? After all, Paul had just finished praying this, this long prayer, which Bob recited to us in his prayer this morning. What connection could 
Paul be making here with what he has to say here? Well, I think one of the things that we might look at is this little word, and. It's the word chi, and we, we're, we're familiar with that word. It's frequently translated chi in the scriptures, K-A-I, but it can also be translated also. And some translations do that. You also, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you might understand then why leaving out hath he quickened might fit the context better if you just leave it out and then say, you also. So who does the you also, what is the connection there? Well, if we go back to, actually, if we go back way back to verse 7, where we saw that Paul was telling us about the benefits that we have in Christ, and he said, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Well, over here in chapter 2, we find the riches of his mercy. But when he says, you also, if we just go back to this prayer in verse 20, where he says, concerning this great power, in verse 19, Power, power, energy. That Paul used all these different terms to describe all that was going on when God raised Christ from the dead. He made him alive. And now he says, and you also. You also who were dead. The difference though is, We were dead in trespasses and sins. Trespasses being those deliberate acts of disobedience and sins being those moral lapses that we fall into. We mentioned earlier that this this word means to to sideslip, you know, to miss the mark was the old meaning for the word. But in the New Testament, it doesn't mean just to slip to the side necessarily, but it means a moral lapse where we, 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 we err, we do wrong. So we, and, and then there are things we do deliberately, transgressions, where we know it's wrong, and we don't just fall into something, but we intentionally go ahead and do it against God's will, and then we have to suffer the consequences for it. And so you have this going on, And then Paul says in verse 2, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. Now, he tells us that, you know, we're, we're trying to put all of this together, bits and pieces, phrase by phrase, some of it word by word, and then put it all together. So here we are, committing these trespasses, acts of disobedience, committing these sins, moral lapses, and he describes us as being dead in those things, wherein, this gives us the sphere in which these things took place. 
Where was that? Well, he says in time past, he walked according to the course of this world, this cosmos. That familiar word. That familiar word that describes everything that's going on in this world apart from God. Everything that men do. All the energies and efforts that men put forth to make this world function, but apart from God. And the word course, as we've looked at one other time earlier, we saw was the word age. So it's literally according to the age of this cosmos. So again, it's a limited time. This age, this sphere of operation in which we live and work and walk. He said at one point in time, prior to God showing us the riches of his mercy and grace. We were walking in that world. We were doing those transgressions, committing them. And we were sinning. We did all those things. It was a a sphere, a place of walking. And he describes that with one word, dead. Dead to anything that has to do with God. Dead to the life of God. You see, we were alive to the life of the world. Now, you got two operations going on all at the same time. You're alive in one sense of the word. You're alive to all the things going on in the world committing these trespasses, committing these sins, falling in line with where the world's headed and where it's going. And yet, he says, you were dead. Dead to the life of God. Dead to anything over here in this sphere of operation or administration that relates to God. Or as he says over in the book of Colossians, if you'll turn over there with me for just a moment, turn to Colossians chapter 1, and let's just see what he says over there to help us grasp mentally where we're headed here. Now in verse 4, he says in verse 3, praying always for you since we heard of your faith, In Christ, all right, so we're dealing with believers here. And then we're dealing with Paul's prayer, beginning in verse 9, for the Colossian believers. And he tells them down in verse uh, 13, concerning God's work in us, he says, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, the word translated, us, means probably what you think it means. It means to remove 
or to transfer. It means to move something from one locale to another locale. And so what Paul was telling the church at Colossae is, and you in in He's telling the church at Ephesus, although he doesn't use the same language, that at one point in time, you were walking and living in the realm, the sphere of the world, the cosmos, going right along, just humming along with where the world was headed. And you'd like to stop right here. This would be just feel you feel like this would be a good place to stop and just say, but. <laughs> but but it doesn't happen just yet. He continues on. He continues on to say that you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now he doesn't tell us who that is, but by examining the rest of Scripture you deduce from that that there's about only one person this could apply to, and that's Satan, a prince of the power of the air. And the Greek word there for air is air, A-E-R. We we spell it A-I-R. It's the lower heavens. It's this realm right up here all around us. And so all we, all we take from that then is that Paul is telling us that there is demonic activity all around us. At any given moment in time, they're there. That's why Peter would, was able to say that Satan goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's there. His minions are there. Not Satan personally, individually attacking each one of us, but his minions, his imps, his devils are there all around in the world, in the cosmos, and yet Paul says, you're not of the world. John said you're not of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. Paul said you're not in the world, You've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And so we're dealing with spheres of operation. One sphere is over here in the world and where it's headed. And then you have another sphere over here where God has placed every believer in Christ. And consequently, as we get further along into Ephesians then we're going to find out that there is a specific way in which God expects us to live since we have been placed over here. But to continue on with what Paul is trying to explain to the believers at Ephesus, he says, the spirit that now works or is working in the children or sons, literally, of disobedience. It is important for us then to comprehend that there is a spirit in this world that works against 
everything that God is working for. And so we shouldn't expect, then, the world to treat us as friends. Because what we do and what we live for is contrary to the world. I heard a guy giving an illustration that said, uh, you know, and, and, and I think he did it well. He was talking about uh, the ministry that they have in their church, and, and one of those was talking uh, and, and counseling women who live with abusive husbands. And he said his most amazing thing, and of course, I think you're familiar with this whole concept and idea that so many having been counseled in these particular areas, or in, the, in this area in particular, tend to go right back to that abusive relationship. And the application he was making was, you know, we in the church do the same thing. God takes us and moves us out of this relationship with the world And yet we want to go right back and just snuggle up with it. We're called to separate ourselves from the world. We are called to be a different kind of people. We are not called to mingle with the world's people and associate ourselves with the world's spirit, the world's course, and its way of doing things. It's a spirit of the age. You may have seen the the German word. It's called a zeitgeist. And it means the same thing. A spirit of the age. And it is exactly what describes what is going on in the world at any given point in time, including our world today. There is a pervasive spirit going on in our world that is driving the world's activities, the leaders of this world, from city governments, shouldn't say that too loud, should I? All the way up to the highest levels of the nations of the earth. That's why it was in the Old Testament when he spoke when when, it, when when the Lord would speak about those who were sitting in the gates of the city he was talking about those who had taken up positions in the local city government We are to separate ourselves from that. I'm not of that ilk of those who say, as replacement uh, replacement theologians teach and say, that the way we need to bring back Christianity to our nation and bring it back to the way it was in the good old days is we need to get teachers and politicians and medical people and, you know, scientists and everybody and believers 
in all these key positions. And then we could bring back and make this world a great place to live in. And of course, they're all wanting to do that without the power of Christ and without the Christ himself, without the king, without the one who has the power to be able to do that. So when he talks about walking according to the course of this world and according to the the prince of the power of the air and this spirit of this age that is working in the children of disobedience, he's talking about what's going on in the world out there, what you read in the newspaper every day and what you listen to on television, on the news. It's what's happening in the world. And he says, he says, you, you, you believers up there at Ephesus? And if this was a circular letter, he was talking about others in Asia Minor as well. Maybe Laodicea, I don't know. But he's saying to them, you walked according to that at one time also. But now, now, things have changed. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation or our way of living, our manner of life, in times past in the lusts of our flesh. Well, now he's getting down to business. He's describing for us what drove us to do those things. What drove us or drives the world to do the things it did and where, why we used to do the things we used to do. According to the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Now, you see that he says children of disobedience. Well, we said that's literally the sons of disobedience. It's the word weos. But down here in verse 3, it's technon. It is children. And the word technon is related to its root word, which has to do with birth. It has to do with where we came from. And so Paul uses that specifically to teach us and tell us that by nature, through birth, you're children of wrath. You didn't have a choice in the matter even as others. We're all there. We all came from the same stock, as it were, in that sense. But I love, I love verse 4. I just love the way it begins. But God. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that an amazing turn that Paul drives us to the very depths of our depravity and how bad we were. And then we see, but God. And he makes something of us. And he goes on to tell us then, God who is rich in mercy. That word rich is the same word over there where he talked about the riches of his grace. He's talking about 
super abundant, overflowing wealth that, that is beyond measure. We can't, we can't describe it. It's just, you know, there's a few people on earth that we can look to as potential illustrations of the kind of riches that Paul's talking about. And, of course, they're going to fall short. But we, talk, we, we use this phrase, and, you know, it's been around for a long, long time, about people who are independently wealthy. And all that means is, is in essence, they've got the money to do whatever they want to do. <laughs> now, of course, we realize that's not exactly true. There are limitations. Money can't buy everything. But for all practical purposes, there are people who want something, they can go get it. I mean, I'm Paul Allen from Microsoft. I mean, he wanted a yacht. So he went and paid $552 million, I think it was, and bought himself one. Pocket change for a guy like that. I can't even comprehend $1 million, let alone 552 But God's riches in his grace and in his mercy exceed that. And it is towards us who believe. God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. I'll tell you what, you, you talk about what drove God to do what he did in his son, Christ Jesus, and to realize that foundationally, it was love. Love for this world. For God so loved the world, the cosmos. The very thing we're talking about here that Paul describes its condition and the condition of men in the cosmos, in the world today, he says, for God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, or if you want to just put it literally, age-lasting life, life for the coming age. And that is what Paul is talking about here. He talked about, in verse 21, he talked about Christ being resurrected from the dead in verse 20, set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And then not only that, he says in verse 7, that in the ages to come. There's more beyond that. So let's keep our perspective on where we are. We're in this present age. We are in this world, this cosmos. God has begun the transformation of delivering his people into his kingdom. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to be living and walking as people who are subject to the king. Now, I know, yeah, you say, well, Hebrews says he's our, presently our high priest. And I agree, he is. He is our high priest. But God has inaugurated, as it were, 
what he is about to do and fulfill in the coming age. And all of this bound up in the riches of his grace, the riches of his mercy, and his great love wherewith he loved us. You know, you can't hardly find better line. Well, maybe I shouldn't say this just yet. I think I will say that. Verse 5, so he says then, even when we were dead in sins, he has quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. And now you see why I said, you also, in verse 1. With Christ, whom God has raised from the dead and made alive and is alive today, seated at the right hand of the Father, you also, he says, he has quickened together with Christ. We are alive together with him. Our life is bound up in the life of Christ. And as we began the Ephesians, and we looked earlier at the first part of chapter 1, where we saw there that... um, In verse 1, where he says, uh, when Paul began addressing this epistle, he said to the the church, the saints rather, which are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. That sets the tone for this whole epistle. Who he is writing to, those who are in Christ. Our life is in him. And you can't get out of him. These aorist tenses that are in this passage here, and I'm not taking the time to delineate those, but tell us that, it, it, that it's a, a done deal, if I can just put it in plain words like that. Our security, in other words, in other words is sure in Christ. All of these things that Paul is trying to lay out for us here to tell us not only where we were, where we have become, but where we are going in the ages to come. In the age to come, the one following this is this one, and then in the ages to come, following that one. And, and it's, by the way, in, and I'll deal with this maybe, I guess, probably another time, but that, that phrase, in the ages to come, means it's just rolling on, age after age after age. You and I would describe that as eternity. And so when we were dead in sins and he quickened us, Paul just, again, cannot help himself, it seems like. You see in the King James, there's a parenthesis there, and I think most translations do that for a particular reason. Because it's like there's an interjection here. It's like Paul had to stop and say, once again, by grace you're saved. Just as a reminder that you had nothing to do with this, that it was all by the grace of God. He gave himself. He worked the plan and has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. 
I know the King James says in heavenly places, but virtually everyone agrees that he's not talking about a locale when he says in the heavenlies here in the book of Ephesians. But he's talking about a, 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 a um, well, I, I, I don't want to use the word sphere because that implies a locale as well. Uh, it's, it's a condition or a state in which we are and has made us sit together with Christ. Because that's what that word means. When it says sit together, it's soon, S-U-N, sit together with Christ in the heavenlies. And again, it's in Christ Jesus. There is so much in our future to look forward to, so much prospect for the believer that we have to really be careful and not forget the other things that Paul says and the rest of Scripture says about those who go back on the Lord and forsake him and the consequences of what quality of life we will have in that coming age when the Lord Jesus comes back to rule over the earth. So you see, it's one thing to know and to be assured of that, yes, we do have the gift of eternal life. Or if we were to look at that, again, literally, it's the gift of age-lasting life or the gift of life for this coming age that Paul's speaking of here. That comes as a gift. And there will be many, many, many people, believers, who have possession of that life and will experience that life during the rule of Christ. But not every believer will experience that life on the same plane, on the same level. That's why at the judgment seat of Christ, all that we have done, all that we have been in our life will be brought before the Lord Jesus Christ. And there we will be judged. And as it were, Paul says, some of these things are just going to turn to ash and there's going to be nothing left. So will they be there? Well, yeah, he says, they'll be saved, yet so as by fire. So they're going to be there. It's just going to be a far less measurable existence of life than they could have had had they lived in full obedience to Christ. Had they lived in separation from this world, as Paul is talking about here, had they realized and, been, and, and experienced the answer to prayer that Paul gives here in chapter 1, that they might know the hope of their calling. Because many don't. 
and even those who do know the hope of their calling. In verse 18, and even those who do know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and even those in verse 20 who know what is the surpassing greatness of his power to us are going to miss out because they've just ignored those things. And they've closed their hearts off, as it were, to any enlightenment that God wants to give them. That's why he says, Paul's praying for Christians that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. So though this world is a world of darkness, and Paul doesn't use the word darkness here, but over in Colossians he did. There were dead to sins, walking in darkness, alienated from God, don't know anything about the life of the age to come. And now in Christ, he says, through the riches of his grace and the riches of his mercy and the greatness of his love wherewith he loved us, he has quickened us and made us alive in Christ so that we can experience the wonders of that age to come. And the joy that comes with it. And joy it will be for those who walk in obedience to the gospel. But to those who walk in disobedience, well, stubble and hay and all of these things burn up. It's only what's left of gold and silver and precious stones that are going to make any kind of meaningful life in the coming kingdom rule of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does all that teach us and tell us then? Well, I don't have time to jump ahead, but you know what verse 10 says that we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And the word created there is, is it's also translated, if you look over in verse 15, uh, it's translated to make. It means to make something. He made us for good works. And so that we are to be busy and active doing good works. Whatever that may be, that God brings in your life, whatever opportunities the Lord opens in your life to be doing, then that's what you as an individual should be doing. And then also what we corporately, what God brings to us as a church, what we should be doing as a church. That's why sometimes when the Lord opens a door, an opportunity for you, it doesn't mean you come and immediately come running to the church and say, hey, I've, I know about this opportunity. We need to do something as a church. Well, maybe not. Maybe you just need to do something. And it's hard maybe to know sometimes when I should, when I shouldn't. And I'm not going to tell you that I know when that is and, and when it isn't. But not everything has to be brought here to the church to act upon. 
Sometimes we just need to act on our own and do those things that God calls good works. Then, then we can know that we can stand before him with confidence, as Jude tells us, and that we will be unashamed and have no fear of the judgment that's to come. And that's, that, that's, that's possible for us. We can do that. We can live in such a way today that we have no fear of facing the Lord's judgment. And so we want to come then, not only with the confidence that Paul has given us here in this passage concerning the riches of his grace in which he has saved us for that age to come, but even and even beyond, he says, in the ages to come. But also in the calling that he's given you and I. I have to quit because there's more. This this calling <clears throat> goes so far. Well, we'll come to this in the rest of Ephesians, but it goes so far beyond. into the life of the age to come that God wants to give us and enrich us so far beyond just having the mere possession of life for the age to come. And I hope that I've made myself clear as to what Scripture teaches us and tells us about the difference between the two. And so that we will turn then and act upon that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful privilege that's ours to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to know the riches of his mercy, to have experienced the riches of his grace and salvation, and to know that love which you have bestowed upon us. <clears throat> and I pray, Father, for... <clears throat> those who have never had that experience, who know not what that love is all about, that it's, it is freely given. All we have to do is believe. Believe in what you have done through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for this world. I pray also, Father, that you would speak to us as believers, that we would be willing and ready to do those things that are most assuredly pleasing in your sight, to see your children doing as we walk before you and as we walk before a world that is watching us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.